This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Emily from Newcastle and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, if you could hear one song for the first time again, as if you've never heard it before, what song would you choose? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer, Hello. And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we're talking everything from... Well, we're talking everything from Emily from Newcastle's question. This is a good one. If you could hear one song again for the first time, what song would it be? Dane, that's that's a pretty... I'm, I'm a fan of that one. I'm going to go for It's All Right, Ma... I'm Only Bleeding by Bob Dylan, which uh, I was uh, I smoked some of those funny things and uh, lyrics blew my mind. So there you go. There's my one such, for you, such Dane. An, such an ambivalent term of I smoked some funny things, Howard. <laughs> well, those <laughs> funny green things that I had at the time in That's, my life. Yeah, people well, specific, Howard. It. You've yeah. got to just well, play it down. You've been talking about PCP for all we know. <laughs> oh, God, no, 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 no. First I've only ever smoked... Dust. We, yeah, <laughs> I know, like, like in trading places. Uh, no, it's, um, <laughs> no, it was uh, weed and it was just like, wow, the, the lyrics are just Dylan, he just blew my mind. So what about, what about you, Dave? I had a very similar experience, but I'd say, uh, try to remember the most recent one. It's tough, but I'd say it would either be, it's hard to pick one, but I'd say it would either be um, PYT by Michael Jackson Okay, interesting. Um, oh, it's going to be three now. Then there's another song called <laughs> Take It In Blood by Nas. Which is Mentioned like a, on this podcast before. Yeah, because it's just like there's an amazing stream of consciousness. But I'd say if I have to choose, that's a short list, but the main one I would say that I remember most vividly would be um, I Love You by Dizzy Rascal. Uh, very good. Because I heard that song and I was like, who the hell is this? Uh, and good. I was like, I don't know. Who the hell this is? What's wrong with this kid? He is going to be a, a fucking superstar. He so, was. Yeah. He was. Well, great question there. Uh, and um, yeah, suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dane? Absolutely. No question. They're too big, too small, too lowbrow or highbrow. And if you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all the very special answers from all our very special guests asking very special questions. With that being said, on today's show is an inspirational and iconic podcaster, writer, and comedian. He's one of the creators of the legendary TV shows Takeover TV, The Adam and Joe Show, and the live comedy show Bug. He is the host of his own podcast, one of the most successful podcasts in the UK, and he was named podcast champion at the British Podcast Awards in 2017. In 2020, he published his first book, Ramble Book, which has gone on to be an audible bestseller, and he will be touring a show based on the same aforementioned book in 2021. Suffice to say, it is the amazing Mr. Adam Buxton. Hey, hey. hello. 
Thank you very Hello. much for that introduction. I would say that calling Takeover TV legendary is stretching the definition of legendary to an extremely. I'm going to tell you that for, for for my for my generation of TV viewing who then went on to try and work in television. Uh, Oh, we still talk about it. I, lots, lots of people still talk about that show. And that, that's kind of, Dane, that's kind of legendary status, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and same. also, we're, we're using digital media, Adam. So hyperbole is the is the, yes. is the order of the day. So it's like, you know, sometimes I've seen people like see a baby dip its own French fries into barbecue sauce and people go, this is everything. So <laughs> there you go. So the bar's been set very low anyway. So it's very easy to say that it's legendary. It's a legendary, ah. to a legendary show. Very easy right, to say good. so. Yeah, but Adam and Joe show. I mean, that come on. You can, you can, you agree that absolutely, had le- yes. le- absolute Easily. legendary status. Easily, you know? sure. Easily. No, I'm, I'm taking all the other compliments uh, on face value. Thank you so much. <laughs> Our pleasure. Look, and I'm just saying when I, when when the Adam and Joe show came on, I could have very easily been watching some softcore pornography on a German channel on cable. I could have done that. I could have been trying to watch reruns of Eurotrash, but that's how that's how good that show was for me. Yeah. And, so. and um, did you have a song, Adam, just related to our, our lovely uh, question from our listener that, yeah. that you, would, you would love to hear again just for the first time? I was thinking about that. Um, I think that I've had various kind of spiritual experiences with songs at various points in my life. And... Um, and it's an amazing thing. Like I really can chart my life by all the the wonderful kind of almost out of body experiences I've had communing with a song that hits you just at the right moment. Or maybe, you know, you've had some jazzy wine or whatever it happens to be. And <laughs> everything, that's, the planets align and it, it, it is the closest that I get to feeling like I'm having an out of body experience, you know? Mm. I mean, I really mean that without hyperbole. And um, <laughs> I feel the same way. Radiohead, when I was a kid, when I was 15 and I heard Radiohead or something, like, I was like, I don't know, there's loads of stuff that I remember yeah. in my life defining my life. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which and is how it's supposed to work, I think. I think The, the last couple that I can remember like that are, well, there's one by the Doobie Brothers and it's called Another Park, Another Sunday. And I was watching like, I, I was sort of uh, flicking through TV channels one afternoon and ended up just watching this documentary about the Doobie Brothers. And um, they played a little clip of this song. And I was like, wow, what's, I thought I knew the Doobie Brothers. I haven't heard that one. It's a massive one of theirs. Anyway, mm. I got obsessed with it and then went through a phase of just listening to it for a, every night for a few weeks. And just every night was, was on the money. And I had a similar thing with um, Pyramids by Frank Ocean. Big mm. song. yeah. Really that sort of song. epic track. Yeah. I just think that is what a thing that is. So uh, yeah, I felt completely transported. All all the different sections, especially the kind of um, um, the when it goes all like the first section of pyramids is all kind of bangy bangy and electronic. Is that the official term for? I, I think that's the yeah, official yeah. term used by old. Yeah, people. yeah, or boom or boom bap, boom bap. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the boom bap. Yeah, yeah. And then, how would you describe this? The, the the second section, the kind of woozy. Yeah, it's kind of like it's like a minor chord synth kind of thing. It's kind yeah. of like that. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like melancholic kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Those kind of crescendos mm. and stuff. I really, I really like that style of music because, like, it's that pyramid is a great example of that. So the producer Dark Child, a lot of his stuff is like using minor chords, and it's almost mm-hmm. like you have like this uh, descending crescendo in minor chords, and it, it almost like like a synth, but like wailing kind of thing, which I really yeah. enjoy as well. So yeah, pyramid, that's a really, pyramid is a good example of that. Michael Kiwanuka's uh, Cold Little Heart is uh, about a 10 minute, if you've ever heard that 10 minute version, yeah. that's another one of those uh, uh, 
uh, transcendental uh, experiences. Uh, Woods by Bon Iver as well. Oh, Thank okay, you. yeah. I really like that one. And then when it was sampled for Lost in the World by Kanye West as well, mm. I really like that because then he had the coda with um, Jill Scott Heron doing the Who Will Survive in America poem mm. um, from My Beautiful Doctor Twisted Fantasy, which to me is still Kanye's best album. You know oh, what? Yeah. I don't, I know barely any Kanye, so I should get across That's the that. one. If, if you're going to pick one, I would say go for um, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. So I think for me, that was like the uh, apex of his kind of collaborative creativity because it does feature like Bon Iver, LaRue are on there. Beyonce's uh, in there. Beyonce's no, in there. no um, um, Nicki Minaj there. is in there, I think. Yeah, Nicki Minaj, Minaj Rayquan Ray is, is in there. In there. Um, it's an amazing album. Uh, and yeah, really good, uh, you know, really what well, But um, it, well, there you go. You, our, our lovely listener uh, got more than she bargained for there. Uh, many answers, uh, but it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the uh, format of this show dictates. Absolutely, Adam, as our very esteemed guest, um, who is more than au fait with the How Podcast work, we invite you to ask our first question, which I'd like to discuss for a fifteen minutes of some change, and then how would like to do the same, and then lather and repeat. I'd like to ask a direct question towards you for fifteen minutes or so which we'd like to discuss. And then once we are all done doing our questioning and our answering, then we would like for our listeners to find out about your good works, uh, past, present, and future. How does that sound? That sounds good, but, you know, uh, don't worry too much about the good works bit at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I think you met, it's you, okay. Leaves us more time for questions. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or body of work, and then people can judge for themselves. Sure. I mean, you know, yeah, people are interested. With, I'm yeah, happy yeah. to talk about whatever. Yeah. Um, and... Speaking of talking about whatever, this might be a bit of a bummer. So uh, I will give you alternatives and you can choose as you see fit. Um, But my question initially, my sincere question is, can you learn to have a good death? Now, I am currently, I'm 52 years old. Uh, My father died at the end of 2015. My mother died last year. And so... Death has been on my mind ever since people that I loved started dying. They weren't the first people that I loved who died, but um, that really made me start thinking about it a lot more than I had before then. I kind of launched into this question. I did say that it was a bit of a bummer and you could choose I like something it, yeah. else. I think, I think we keep going this way. We keep on this thread. All right. Like okay. It. Well, we'll try and keep it non-depressing. I mean, I do, I do feel as if I have some non-depressing things to say and thoughts about it suppose my thoughts have been about like surely there is a a way to get yourself ready a little bit more than most people do i felt that both my dad and my mum he he was fine at the end he was quite old 92 nearly and it wasn't like he was in agony or anything you know pain management is pretty good these days and that aspect of mm. of death is not too terrifying. I don't think. Obviously, this does not apply to everyone. I'm talking entirely uh, on the basis of my own experience with these things. Um, But my mum was a bit younger and she just got fed up. She just didn't like the indignity of aging and um, uh, nothing about it was pleasurable (laughs) for her. And she, so she was a bit younger. She was just over 80 when she checked out. And again, like the final, the, the actual final moments, neither of them were, were too bad. But I just felt like the run-up to the whole thing could have been a bit better. And I thought like, I would like to 
to be across that a little bit more and put some thought into it. You know, like the whole concept of bucket lists, yeah, which yeah. only became a thing in 2007. I Googled this. I, I assumed that the idea of a bucket list, i.e. making a list of all <laughs> the things you want to do before you kick the bucket or die. I, I sort of thought, well, that's been around for years, hasn't it? But apparently not. It was coined with that film, 2007, the bucket list starring Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. That's when that concept entered the consciousness. Wow. Um, but I'm always surprised by the fact that well, I guess I'm not surprised. It's fair enough. You know, it's always things like, I want to go skydiving. I want to see the Northern Lights. I want to take an African safari, whatever it might be, you know. Um, but you don't really get too many people putting on their bucket list. I want to learn some strategies for embracing death. <laughs> and it, it's one of those things as well, like, I guess is... Um... It's to do with lead up you're talking to about, right? Isn't it that, that those kind of weeks, the you know, let's say you know you've got kind of like a six week window, yeah. and this is always turned into like movie nonsense, right, Dane? As in, like, like you say that that 2007 film, it's like, hey, it's some kooky thing, and maybe I'll learn something. But why is it not just common practice to think a little bit more about how you might enjoy the last bit of your life? Um, well, I, I guess it's. Uh mortality uh when you juxtapose it with the other uh routines within human life uh it's um i think it's a very it's a very powerful one because you know you could argue when you are pondering something like a mortality it kind of makes a lot of your other activities you do in the run-up to your life kind of folly when you because what you tend to find is when people it suggests to people that they are now aware of their mortality and how long they may have left to live then when they do think about their other preoccupations in life, they seem very small in comparison to the fact that you'll no longer be around. So I guess maybe that's the part of it is that um, people become so uh, entrenched in daily routine of capital gain or material gain that these are distractions that allow them to forget that, you know, one day they're going to be dead. Um, I mean, and also human beings have several institutions or ideas of rationalization that they use to make them not think about the fact that one day they'll be dead, whether it's, you know, something on one scale of being cosmetic surgery, where you feign the aesthetic of being eternally young or at the other extreme, where it's um, maybe not thinking about the process of dying physically, but more the afterlife. And then I guess having a renewed or inspirited belief in an, in an afterlife but learning to learning to have a good death is a really lovely specific thing, right? Because it's like, you know, none of us are planning on dying anytime soon. I, the three of us here, uh, you know, and uh, unless well, it, but maybe no, is that but, the problem, uh, though, Howard? That we don't prepare to die because you know we look at human well, beings or as mammals or how we work compared to our other counterparts. You know, a lot of people argue that. We, but if you get to that point, though, where you're like, you know getting to a certain age where you, and maybe there's something up or, you know, you're kind of starting to think that I've oh got this, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to last. You could start to like, you know, I've got like friends, like I want to make sure I have one last drink with them. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of where my mind went when Adam said that question is like, you know, uh, I, I still quite like watching Frasier. Uh, <laughs> even though I've seen it a billion times, I'd probably like to have a little Frasier marathon one day. I mean, these are quite low bars I'm saying here, but... <laughs> Life is full of simple things, right? Rationalization strategies that maybe should be a part of human life and a part of existential thought anyway. Because when you think about it, whether it's today, five to 10, 30 years down the line, 
the certainty is that at some point you will die. So really, maybe it should be a part of our, uh, you know, as a, of an existential or human practice, whether it's through religious means or just through like normal psychological mm. uh, well-being, for us to ponder what we would do if we would die tomorrow. I think there's maybe there's... But it's, it's the surprise bit, isn't it? That yeah, gets it, there's, there's a surprise there's, of it. Though. There is a, um, in the same way that with evolution, there's like a missing link between, you know, Homo sapiens and Homo erectus. There's obviously mm. a uh, blind spot between uh, death and the afterlife. And uh, when I say afterlife in terms of, not just in terms of you having an existence after diet, your corporal body dies, but more, you know, based on, yeah, legacy. legacy. And, uh, you know, your, how yeah. you're, you're imprinted. But I just people. feel like, you know, I look back on like, uh, for example, Adam, like uh, my, you know, I remember the last phone call I had with my dad, right? I don't know if you've had these memories with you and talking about your parents mm-hmm. passing and, you know, I remember the last phone call with my dad, he called me up and he was so angry about how Arsenal had got knocked out of the Champions League. <laughs> and he was moaning to me about Alexander Kleb. I don't know if you follow football, but there was a player who played for Arsenal for a couple of years, a Belarusian guy called Alexander Kleb. He was not a legend in, uh, no, in Arsenal's history. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so my dad was moaning to me for like, it was like a five minute phone call. And that was the last time I ever spoke to my dad. And we'd, Alexander Kleb yeah. killed your dad. Weirdly, I... <laughs> what a shit bag. Do you know what? I could actually send you a picture. I'll put it on Twitter that a couple of years later, Arsenal started putting these little um, plaques outside for fans, like on the floor outside the Emirates. It's like a nice tiled of lots of messages. People send love messages to whatever. And I just put, <laughs> I just put one for my dad there that said, Jeff Cohen never rated oh, no. uh, <laughs> and then it went, And then it went viral at some point on like some website, uh, which he would have been very proud of. But like that weirdness, yeah. right, Adam? I don't know how you feel about that weirdness of like, that was the last yeah. moment and you kind of feel like that to learn how to have a good death would is tough. tough no, things. it's really, and you have to, I hope that you didn't. I mean, I guess that was nothing upsetting. It's not like he was imparting some upsetting bit of information about you or saying that you had disappointed him or something like that. That would be hard to deal with. And I've, I've known people that that has happened to, and it's tough to get beyond something like that when a person's last words are angry or bitter or hurtful i mean a lot of the time they're not in a good place themselves or they're altered or addled or medicated or there's any number of reasons why they might say something that you shouldn't hold on to in that a really really good point especially but because like so much of our communication is non-verbal anyway and it's and myself is because i feel like it's uh, been more of a function of uh, considering how my life, how I lead my life, has helped me to rationalise the idea of dying a lot more. One of the ways you are able to, you know, have a good death is by, as I said, imprinting positively on people, so that rather than leaving with any kind of grudges or any kind of parting comments that would be negative, because what that means is, irrespective of whether you uh, lean towards uh, creationism or science in terms of what you think about afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, like with any kind of memory or emotion, however you're evoked in the human mind, that energy that you left with is what's going to be conjured amongst people as well. So how do you want people to feel when they discuss you? Because that energy that that is created is going to be your last remnant or the closest thing to your physical form within the physical world is what people do when they think of you. So, Right. That could be a way to uh, have, a, have a good death, I'd say, in some ways, is to leave behind yeah, because- that. 
Leave like it good. a good feeling because, you know? and because, because, and that's also based on the biological idea that human beings thrive positively off of dopamine and serotonin releases. So if they, if thinking of you makes them happy, they're more inclined to do that. And so you're able, so mm. you may not be here physically, but there'll be a good death because you're able to kind of endure in that respect. Definitely have a will as well, by the way. Definitely. Have yeah, I got my will sorted. I'm doing all those things. Yeah. I'm ticking those kind of practical boxes. But yeah, I do feel as if I've got to start thinking because for for for, for many people, religion is the thing that um, does this. You know, that's what gets you in the right headspace and you cling on to whatever your beliefs are in that area about whether there's an afterlife or whatever. That gives you comfort and it gives you some sort of structure to the process of dying or if someone has died that you love then grieving that person and so there's a there's a meaning there for those people who believe in that stuff but i but i i'm not religious so uh i don't have that i've got to do some more reading but my experience of it as i say is is from my parents um and also from there was a guy called mark colvin he was an australian journalist and broadcaster who I didn't really know much about, but we, when I was on Twitter, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but back in the day, he got in touch with me on Twitter to say that he listened to my podcast. He liked it. I didn't know who he was. Turns out he was kind of a great journalist in, in Australia. And uh, hmm. he, he died in 2017. I mean, he, he had been out in Rwanda covering the genocide there in 1994, and he contracted an autoimmune disease out there in the process of covering that uh, crisis out there. And thereafter, he, he lived for um, a couple of decades with extreme pain and disability, kidney failure, hip replacements. Anyway, he soldiered on and he was incredibly positive. And his last tweet, like uh, days before he died, was, it's all been bloody marvelous. And I just was so knocked out by that that this guy had this um, extremely positive way of thinking of his life and um, how he wanted to express himself as he faced death, even after all the pain that he had experienced personally, physical and emotionally, and all the things that he had seen in the course of being a reporter a, a, you know, and a news journalist covering the genocide in Rwanda. Can you imagine what that would have done mm. to to him and uh, and the people who saw that and experienced that hard to be positive about anything after that i would imagine and so well you can schedule those tweets now yeah. Adam, potentially if we uh... <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> start composing something inspirational it's, it's right an interesting now. point about digital media though how because i mean another another method as well is that like it's I know for me, I, I went through a very long period of procrastination before I began doing comedy, I think, which is most part of the, uh, the journey for most people, finding reasons why you can only dip your toe in and not go the whole way. Mm. And it, one of the things that pushed me was thinking uh, creativity is one of the only uh, remaining methods that human beings have to uh, chronicle their existence. You may die here physically, but your ideas and your concepts and whatever... Uh, medium that is used to communicate ideas, whether it's from consciousness to your voice, from your voice to another human ear, to the ear to consciousness, these are maybe just waves or methods that we're not aware of yet. So it's like, when we think of an afterlife, it's like, for me, it's because it's just our current limited understanding of death, which makes it a lot easier to come to terms with, because what does that death mean? Because by the same token, all of the carbon-based cells that make up your being, 
will then itself contribute to helping another organism, which we say is circle of life, or if you have children, your yeah. genes are passed on then. Mm. Your existence right now is the culmination of, you know, thousands of years of evolution um, from your immune system. Otherwise, to get, to get to the point of you having experience of Adam Buxton. But there, there, along your genome, there may be just one acid base that's come from preceding generations, which while it ma- manifests in a way you might react to something, even the way that your nose twitches when you smell something, that's still the makeup of thousands of years of life that have gone on before you that still endures. So it's really, I guess, more of our understanding of what we refer to as death. Like in a world where nothing else is binary anymore, are we still contextualizing existence along these lines of life and death? Because sure. the, the matter that makes you up doesn't disappear. Energy cannot be yep. created or destroyed. So that's infinite in itself. So there's uh, there's a couple of farts I've done in the last couple of days as well that are going to be around for some time. Exactly, they are, they are, and 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 not only that, they are going to maybe the catalyst for someone else's life. You yeah. never know. There, yeah. there may be a life form out there that subsists solely on uh, gaseous methane, and you know it's it's all possible. But I mean, can you possible, learn exactly. to have? Can you learn to have a good death? What a question, listeners! Please. Get in touch. And Adam, uh, question. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Thank you for sharing that one. Well, we absolutely failed to answer it, but there you go. I mean... Well, I think we've. I think we've agreed. Yes, we're working on the solution. Yes. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get back. Some, to you. We'll come we're back just to, to work that. out what is death. Yeah. I guess. Right. I mean, it's a big. It's yeah. a big old question. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah. you know, we, we we've started. But we we but people need to talk about it more though. I do think that I feel I feel oh, as yeah. if like one thing that seems to come up a lot more, like my friend Mark Colvin, is that many people towards the end of their lives when they are staring at death are less terrified and panicky than you might expect. The real fear mm. of death for most people comes in worrying about it and anticipating it. But there have been studies done where people are writing about how they feel when they are hours or days from death, and, and it's far less downbeat than you might imagine. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we could easily revisit yeah. this. Uh, again, Dave, I'll get right? back to you when uh, I yeah, let's get back to but, but every human yeah. being is going to visit at some point. How yeah. that's the main thing why we should discuss it so much. Exactly, it's yeah, yeah. it's strange that we have created so many systems to kind of I suppose meander around the topic. Like you know, it's something that we well, don't. And a great chance to reference uh, Carrie yeah, Ad Lloyd exactly. hey, yes, and her, her incredible podcast, um, which I'm sure you guys absolutely have heard of. But my question, and weirdly Dane's question, because we sometimes confer on our questions before the show, mm-hmm. Adam, um, are kind of interweaved a little bit. So the rest of this episode, we're gonna we're gonna talk about 
um, something in the creative okay. world. Um, because, like, for me, I mean, I had your, I had your VHS, uh, Adam, uh, of the Adam Whoa. and Joe show. Uh, I had a VHS of that, and I, phew, I would sit with my mates and watch that again and again. And if there's any listeners out here who don't remember that show, not that you, you've obviously gone on to do many excellent things in your career, there was something about that show at that moment that just felt, like, very, very special uh to the people who were fans of it right dane like it was uh it was it was just like yeah it's like something you couldn't bottle in some ways and um i think my question to you uh having you know had such a kind of wonderful career is do you ever feel you are losing your imagination Hmm. uh because it, 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 it that was i would say the single most imaginative show uh, I can reference some other imagine. I think Rick and Morty is a show that people get very excited about because it's so imaginative, right? Yeah, um, I would say that Rick and Morty is a genuinely imaginative show in a way that I wouldn't really characterize our show as being, the Adam and Joe show, because what we were doing was essentially a pop culture review show. So we were responding to things in hopefully an imaginative way, like we were trying to imagine ways of talking about films and TV shows and everyday life that wasn't totally boring and, um, you know, was fun in itself, like the actual ways that we were, because we were sort of taking the piss out of things a lot of the time, but the hopefully the way we were doing it wasn't completely negative or, or, or destructive Often they were things that we liked and that's kind of the way we were. I think that's the way a lot of friends are. They get together and they take the piss out of things that they love, really. Like pop stars, we always took the piss out of David Bowie, even though we all loved him. But we were aware Mm. that there were certain aspects of him and his career that were a little bit ludicrous, as there are for any you know, superstar or any creative person who does anything interesting, there's always going to be some aspects of that that are a bit stupid and shit. So yeah, we were doing that. As far as whether I'm worried that I am getting less imaginative. Yeah. I never really thought of myself as a very imaginative person. I wouldn't speak for Joe. I think Joe is, Joe is probably more imaginative. He's a better storyteller in that way. So that's why he's better equipped to be a director, a film director and someone who writes actual stories. I've never been very good at that. I've been more of a kind of a commentator. That's my thing. And an observer of everyday life and the way mm. that people are and the way they interact. That's what I really like. So it's not, it's not so much um, imaginative. In fact, when my children were young and at bedtime, every now and again, they would say, tell me a story, daddy. And I'd say, all right, well, uh, I'd find it really hard <laughs> to make up stories. <laughs> I w- and in is the there, end, is there an element would... of comedian-based uh, cynicism within uh, that kind of precedes it as well? Because you might start a story and be like, no, I don't want to tell my kids that. They'll, be, they'll end up stupid. Like, I don't want to say that to them. Is it, is yeah, that, exactly. That, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm, not giving, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not validating that kind of idea. Yeah, hacky <laughs> stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would usually end up going with... Um, some variation on the Star Wars story. You know, it would be like, well, there was a farm boy. And then it would be like, I, I can't quite remember the story exactly when it comes down to it. <laughs> and then his, he was living with his aunt and his uncle and these 
baddies came. I can't remember why, but they ended up burning the aunt and uncle. Oh, no, they just... Anyway, so he, he found his way to a big... He was on a space station... And he had some. I mean, this is kind of reminding me of the Adam and Joe show here. <laughs> the way you did the the way you did the films was always for me one of the hot. I always never forget Seven. You guys did oh, yeah. Seven, right? The, <laughs> the the Brad Pitt film. I still can't get my head around how you actually pulled that. I mean, such a unique thing to pull off because it's such a horrific experience watching that film, <laughs> uh, turning it into but comedy. I think that's, why, that's what works so well, works so well about the show, and, and it's, it's such a part of the endeavor. Is it's you know human beings will ponder how, you know, the events that took place in the seven, how someone could commit these kind of atrocities or someone could be so um, apathetic. So it's a great endeavour to kind of be like, well, what if we looked at it this way? And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's always good to kind of yeah but offer that. I suppose also it was an era where kind of sketch shows, I don't know, it'd be weird to consider that a sketch show. I don't know if you guys ever thought about it like yeah. that, but like, you know, the Ken Corder yeah, yeah. stuff which was a lot of the time hidden camera for, or not hidden camera, like a prank. It was kind it of a was pranky sort thing of pranky. Or... It was like a very uh, vanilla Sasha Baron Cohen type exercise, i.e. you create a character and then you insert him into various stupid situations. Yeah, like short film shoots, like real short film shoots with real yeah. people. Yeah, I remember really one good. thing you guys <laughs> did, which I'll never forget. I reference it because I work in the, the slightly bizarre world of television. I often th- bring it up. Which is that that the thing where you pretended you were working for changing rooms? Oh you, yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was really good. And you, and you put like a mannequin instead of um, a, a light fitting. Uh, there were lights coming out of the mannequin's mouth or something. And they were, oh, yeah, was, we had this guy, and he had agreed. He was approached by the production company and told that we were from a makeover show, TV makeover show, <laughs> and uh, his boyfriend set him up. In fact. And said, oh, yeah, he'll be fine with this. And so we turned up to the guy's house and uh, they just moved in there. So they hadn't really decorated yet, which was good. Um, And then we showed up, me and Joe, in the morning. Uh, The bloke buggered off for the rest of the day. And then we just trashed the front room. We had had (laughs) drills. We just drilled a load of holes in the door and just threw paint at the walls. As you say, we had a mannequin that we sprayed gold and hung it up from the uh, ceiling, draped some fairy lights A collection of CDs that were like a mirror? Yeah, we stuck a load of CDs together and hung them on the wall and said it was a mirror (laughs) and put some greengrocer's grass on the floor (laughs) and just (laughs) made it terrible. so good. Honestly, absolutely uh, so We did it so badly as well because we were under time pressure. So he came back and he looked around and he said, yeah, yeah, ha-ha, hmm, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it cool. But it was fun doing those things because, you know, we had, the, we had his boyfriend's permission. Like, it wasn't a total... Right. Uh, we weren't totally stitching him up and... and um, yeah. It wasn't Beatles. No, and we weren't, you know, we put everything right afterwards. And so no one was getting humiliated or badly embarrassed or shocked. It was mainly an excuse. Mm. It was mainly a way of giving, providing a bit of an edge for an otherwise um, fairly tame idea, which was to take the piss out of makeover shows. You know what I mean? And if you yeah, introduce yeah. that well, it, it, that pranky it, element into it, however small, 
it's stuck stuck with me for about 20 odd years now adam so i obviously was doing something right and I mean, that imagination like i say when you want to name all these things like to me it's like one of the most imaginative shows i ever saw dane like it was it was just unique and it's kind of interesting that dane's question which we're going to kind of combine in i think together because they're very linked that, that you you've gone on to do so many things and i think dane had a particular point mm. he wanted to ask yeah I, i'm just because like you know um this is my 10th year doing comedy, which has been fun and obviously has allowed, has provided springboards into a few other creative fields, such as podcasting, uh, yeah. some comedy writing. Um, but obviously, yeah, it's looking at the kind of broad expanse in terms of your career is that, um, was it a uh, conscious effort to transcend into like, you know, video music, video production and, and podcasting? Or do you think there's just maybe a natural trajectory that you go at as maybe starting off as a comic or a writer? Um, just because I also make sure, and me and how I discuss it all the time, is that like you know, without an ego, it's like I want my narrative and ideas to kind of be bigger than comedy. I mm-hmm. do love doing comedy, and one of the best parts is that kind of the speed in which you can go from concept to stage and communicate that with an audience. And um, but at the same time, I feel like digital media has opened up the world so much more that if you are able, are capable of comedic timing or being able to think quite quickly off the cuff and come up with new concepts, especially where I think there's such a I think the now the gold rush right now is for human consciousness, whether it's you know people who are dis, uh, disillusioned by bipartisan politics or just new ideologues appearing on social media. Not all of them necessarily positive, but definitely engaging. Mm-hmm. I think it's it is uh, <clears throat> the time now to create new jobs and new ways of thinking and uh, more nuanced um, styles of art in terms of how you communicate with people. It's changing, but I I, I just want to make sure that um. Myself personally, that I'm identifying opportunities if they do arise, or are those things that come along naturally, or do you find as you gain competence in another field, it almost automatically leads on to you entering into another one? Yeah, I think that's that's how it works more than anything else. I'm always impressed with people who are able to have goals and to plan things and to say, in 10 years, I want to... Uh, have a TV show and uh, 15 years I want to be starring in a movie, all this kind of stuff. I've never, ever thought like that at all. Partly from a negative point of view of just being too diffident and too, uh, you know, just thinking, fuck, I'm never going to be able to do that shit. But also because I think it's more fun to just see what happens and to make things up as you go along and see what occurs. Because the, the problem with the planning everything strategy is that it becomes a bit pointless after a while. You're like, yeah, but why do you need to be in a movie? You know, why do you need to have done these things? It's like putting the cart before the horse. You know, surely the the idea behind it and the spirit behind it is what's interesting. That's what's going to connect with people is where is this stuff coming from? And that's not something that you can plan. I think most people are just responding to what's happening in their lives and what's happening in the wider world. And if you have a perspective on that, that is in in any way engaging or interesting, then people will respond to it, I think. And it doesn't really I think that the least interesting thing is is being hugely famous or as far as I can tell, that just limits everything massively. It limits your own enjoyment of your personal life because you can't do all the things that you used to be able to do before. You've got all this weight of expectation on you and 
I mean, the good thing about being famous and winning lots of awards is that in theory, it opens more doors and it makes it possible for you to get more projects off the ground and things like that. But I think the... In real, real life, we know it doesn't work that way. Like when you get nominated in Edinburgh, people yeah. are like, yay. They're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Why am I here to see you then? <laughs> That's right. Politics, <laughs> bullshit, yeah. box ticking. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's. Did you did did you feel that at some stage in your life you were kind of chasing a bit more of the kind of the fame game? I guess people. Would yeah, definitely. It? I mean, I don't know chasing it, but I had those fantasies, you know. And I definitely thought at one point, okay, I've been on TV now, so people are probably going to offer me lots of things. And it'll just be a question of which one do I want to choose? Do I want a TV show or shall I be in a film, in a nice film? You know, and I was looking at people like Simon <laughs> Pegg, who are contemporaries of mine and uh, Joe's, and thinking, yeah, there you go. That's probably what's going to happen to me. I'll just be able to do what I want and hang out with Tom Cruise and be in films. And then you get a bit older and you think, oh, actually, it's not, you do have to have something else. You do have to have some real drive and a kind of uh, proper work ethic and, and more ideas. Yeah, just, you know, you have to just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Nothing gets handed to anyone. I think one of the weird things is focus, right? Yeah. Because, because like, and I'm not saying this in reference to you or, or, or Dane, just generally with creative people is, they're kind of like uh, easily distracted over to the ne- to the next thing because there's there's so many promises of opportunity in different uh, possible projects, right? That's must be so. It's such a challenge to deal. with. Yeah, I think the hard thing sometimes is saying no. I mean, I've I've never found that especially. You know, that's not been a massive problem. I haven't been so overwhelmed with opportunities that it's become an issue, but. The thing is that enough trickles in for you to have to be a little bit mindful about what you say yes to. Otherwise, it's quite easy to just sort of subsist on on a diet of things that are fun and don't take up too much time. But actually, suddenly 10 years has gone by and maybe you don't have that much to show for it. And then, I mean, I feel as if I'm in that position a little bit now, thinking slightly like, oh, okay, you know, we were talking about death before and I was thinking, you know, starting to think like, hmm, how many productive years have I got left, really? And knowing, as I know now, how fast time passes and how it continues to speed up uh, the older I get, I've, I've now got to think a little bit about like, well, okay, I can carry on piddling along the way I have been. And it's fun and it's enjoyable. But will I be okay with that? in 20 years, if I make it another 20 years, you know what I mean? And I hope I will, but there every now and again, you know, you have those moments of vulnerability when you perhaps compare yourself to other people. That's the worst thing Absolutely. really. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. and you suddenly yeah. think, Oh God, what have I done? But then I feel mm. as if I'm getting slightly better at getting beyond that and not, um, you know, I cry much less at award ceremonies now. <laughs> and, you should uh, get invited to award ceremonies, Adam. <laughs> Still waiting for my invite. <laughs> oh no, I'm not. I'm talking about watching them on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on my own and crying and crying. <laughs> but it's incredible, isn't it? Because it, because like you know, like I say, for me, 
I've, I think I've kept the gushing down fairly well, haven't I, Dane? I haven't overgushed at Adam's. Uh, but you were like a hero to me, man. Like, I mean, seriously, like, you know, like... I think that's a good way to think about it as well, is that for however uh, small you think your accomplishments are, there is some kid somewhere in the UK or in the world who's like, I just want to be Adam. And he's and he's comparing himself to you thinking, what, am I not getting right? And because it's... It's all. It's it's also subjective. Well, I, yeah. I had a, I had a, I had a scenario the other day with a uh, uh, my my uh, sister's uh, my sister in law's nephew. So I'm not related to this kid. Uh, his name's Max. Hello, Max. If you listen hey, to this episode, Max. And, and he, hey, Max. And <laughs> he, he he's been doing this little podcast about Arsenal for his for his sins. I don't know if he's getting as many uh, listeners as he'd like, but anyway, he was just talking to me about podcasting on WhatsApp, and he was really saying nice things about the podcast. And then I saw my nephew yesterday, and he was like, "Oh, you're, Max keeps talking about how good your podcast is," and like kind of in a way that kind of meant more <laughs> just to think about how this guy he's like seventeen or. 18, 18 now, I don't know, that kind of like, you know, thinking like, God, like that one person, when you bottle it down to that, but like, there's a tiny little thing of someone just being like, yeah, that guy enjoys it's, that it's thing you do. It's the most important thing that if you can provide a parallel between your life and somebody else's, mm-hmm. that again, going back to our first question, I think it's a way of helping us rationalize something like death. I think if we're going to study it, which I think we should be as a part of the human well being and just giving us a more rounded uh, perspective of the world, is that. Um, Knowing someone out there is living a life like your your own and having that human um, exchange, um, it's one of the most, I think it's one of the most important endeavours of art is that I think for everyone, when we speak about art and music and stuff that we enjoyed, it's because it either captured a point in our lives, which is very significant. And that was, that, that was able to um, underscore it, or it's a way of where it's like, and, and, that's, and that's what I say by the same, it's like, you can listen to a song and mm-hmm. the emotion that it caused, whether it's like a song that reminds you of a breakup, even if it's very faint, you will still remember the emotion it evokes at the time when you heard it, when your heart was broken in the first place. And, you know, that's, that is a... Well, I think podcasting offers a really interesting insight into it because, you know, for for the last, uh, how many, six years, Adam, that you've been kind of, yeah. you know, w- wonderfully entertaining the masses. And, and I'd say playing by your own... Uh, rule book, as in you're not told by anyone what to do no. in the show, right? Uh, and, and you make your own adverts, which are potentially as popular as the, <laughs> as the, as the content of the show, right? People love your love your jingles and stuff. Uh, um, it, it, it's kind of, you know, freedom. I think that's one of the things we're talking about as well, isn't it? That, that you, you lose freedom on certain yeah. projects, which can then... Yeah, and it's something maybe you can't you know. put a price necessarily that where you may not have more dizzying heights of fame or success or plaudits in some ways. It's like one thing you kind of reflect on in your body of work is that it was your choice and the extent to which you did it. Because you know, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, is yeah, important, yeah. I think. It, like times, every now and again, you have the opportunity to look back over stuff you've done for whatever reason. Um, maybe you're checking something or writing something. You go down a little bit of a rabbit hole of your own past. And the things that make you cringe are generally the ones where you were overthinking it or you were trying to be something that you're not. And you're sort of thinking, shit, everyone else is talking about this thing. Everyone's being edgy. Like I remember times in the 90s when we felt that we should try and be a bit more edgy because we felt we were too kind of nice or <laughs> not not being... Uh, dangerous enough or, or sick enough or, you know, and <laughs> we would try, we'd have a little go 
And, you know, this is what led to a lot of um, soul searching from comedians in the 90s last year when uh, post, um, you know, um, George Floyd uh, and Black Lives Matter and all those conversations, there were a lot of comedians in the 90s who felt that they should be pressing buttons and being a bit edgy. And then, of course, they lived to regret it and and were in a weird position where they, you know, they kind of had to apologize or admit that they felt differently or, you know, because... It, but there should, there should be, and there should be no... Um... There should be no institution or there should be no public disposition that stops people from doing that. I think, you know, your artistic growth should run concurrently with your human growth in that. Absolutely, absolutely. You may, be, you may believe or mistaken, like, you know, I'd like to definitely feel like I'm an egalitarian and a, and a, and, and uh, have solidarity with feminist belief now. But I know when I was 17 or 18, yeah. I had a very misguided idea uh, about uh, chauvinism and my place as a cisgender heterosexual man. Not because, not from a place of malice, but it's because of the environment I was in, I would have genuinely thought that um, I was uh, being benevolent. But it's, it's. I think in terms of like when we speak about people that have had to retrospectively uh, apologize and stuff like that, I think mm. it's. Um, yeah, I mean I that's best, a whole other. Apolo- yeah, it's a whole other thing. But I, think, but I think the apology really is should. It's you don't necessarily need to apologize, but it's it's being open to being able. Like you know, I just think as a speaking as a comedian the most important thing is to take the position of fall. So you're always open to be able to revise technology. I think, I think, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, to, to revise like your idea, ideology, because I think it's one of the biggest problems with two of the biggest, I guess, the two, the dichotomy, the two biggest schools of thought amongst human beings, whether it's like creationism and, and science, if we've got these two fields of like study for human beings, is that mm-hmm. you could argue that uh, our problem with creationism is that it should embrace more scientific principles in terms of the fact that if you see what is supposedly a truth or a theory within religious texts, that should be open to a methodology, a null hypothesis, testing, and then a reevaluation, so that we can say we mm. felt initially, based on maybe the socioeconomic makeup of our society, that a creator might take this position on same-sex marriage. Whereas when we look at today's world, and we look at like whether it's overpopulation, or we look at the amount of children that may need to be adopted, then in a religion that emphasizes selflessness and piousness, then the idea of a same-sex couple adopting a child and giving them love and a stable upbringing makes much more sense if we are promoting a universal love amongst the collective consciousness. By the same token, we would take science, for example, even though science is about exploring the uh, things that make up our existence. As Jeff Goldblum said in Jurassic Park, instead of worrying about whether or not we can, we should think about whether we should. There you go. I I think Jeff Goldblum is not quoted enough. Particularly from that yeah. film, exactly from, from that film of all things, because you know there's, there's a lot of elements of that film where it's about um, we can marvel at our achievements and our ability to achieve. It was a documentary, yeah, but, wasn't but, it? Well, no, in some ways. Uh, <laughs> no, it's absolutely absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. It's like uh, whether or not we should do it. Like we take to account climate change, for example, and some of the flooding yeah. we're now having in Western Europe. It's like. Absolutely. All of that. I mean, yeah. I think people are gradually trying to have those conversations, now, especially with AI and things like that. And I mean, yeah, it's not, going, it's not going anywhere. Now, now, now and that, as you say, we are now at the point where we've created new life. Mm. And, you know, if people say that human humanity destroyed God, like Nietzsche said, we, we, God created man and man killed God. 
Well, AI now. But what did Jeff Goldblum have to say about it? What did Jeff Goldblum <laughs> have to say about it? I mean, yeah. Well, he's actually next week on the show, well, he, everyone. He said, uh, well, no, he he's not. Independence, he's Independence not, Day, but... and the way we beat um, the computers was to give them a virus and to upload confusion amongst that alien population in Independence Day, right? And if you right. maybe think about how the algorithm has affected human consciousness on social media, um, it's very similar that maybe there there is now a ghost in the machine which tells us how to think and maybe yes. makes us say things we wouldn't normally say or think. Yes, that's why I'm not on social media anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, you, you know, the fact that you're not on social media means we're even more privileged oh, to have you on yes. this show. And it's been a, it's been an amazing episode, right, Dane? Absolutely. That has, I definitely uh, want to make sure we continue this conversation about joy. preparing for a good death. I think yeah, man. that is, I would go so far as to say, positive death preparation that, that that's a premise for a whole new religious belief. Yeah. I have think, you I read? Um, like yeah. You, I mean, yeah, obviously, there's there's many people who have written on the subject, and I've read almost nothing. But a book that people keep recommending to me is "Man's Search for Meaning" by Viktor Frankl, 1946. Uh, Viktor Frankl describes his experiences in a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, and those experiences led to him finding meaning during times of suffering and death. People keep mentioning this book to me, and I'm I'm going to get hold of it. But I know that you're very well read, Dane, and I thought maybe you might have come across that one. Well, yeah, but I'm definitely going to look into it. We are going to and you, Howard. I, I I didn't mean to imply that you were yeah, less yeah, no, well wrote, read than I wrote Dane. It down. Well, do you know what? Actually, Adam, I was actually writing Victor Frankl down whilst also looking up uh, Jeff Goldblum okay. quotes, <laughs> quotes from Jurassic Park. I think so. uh, <laughs> I think Victor Frankl probably wrote it with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, life finds a way is the one that I was reaching for uh, when it comes to Goldblum in Jurassic ah, Park, yes. uh, and that might actually apply uh, to the Frankel. This show, by the way, is spelled F R A N K L, which you should know, Howard. Lovely. Uh, do you know what you can spell Frankel a couple of ways before you test my Judaism there, Dane? <laughs> keep it, keep uh, it your toes out. Keep it on your toes. <laughs> but Adam, thank you so much for coming hey, on. Hey man, the show. thanks for having me. I hope I wasn't too dreary and depressing. Not, not. At, You're not kidding at me. All. You're kidding no me. Way. I think. I think, no, I think I think it was very uplifting, and I think um, it was for people, you know, especially because you've lost two parents. Um, rest in peace, we say to your parents as well, and Thank Howard's you. dad. Um, because and I feel like, dad, you know, yes. people think these are um, states of being we may grow out of, but losing two parents will make you definitely consider your mortality and existentialism more than anyone. Yeah. Because, like, Just, you know, they're the reason you're alive. So when exactly. the reason you're alive is no longer alive, it does mean you should have to think about your existence a lot more so um i think it's very useful uh thank you so much for it and i hope it's been helpful to anyone who is coping with loss that um you know the stages of grief you may be experiencing or loss there's nothing wrong with any of them and you should feel open to communicate those um so and adam you said you didn't want to plug anything at the end of the show so that could just be it then really yeah we will uh, plug the uh, honorable memory of your parents i'm trying to uh engage in a radical strategy of Non-ambition. <laughs> no, yeah, no, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pretend that I am not plugging anything on, on principle because I'm so brave. Good. Good, yeah. I like that. That's good. But it's just in this minute of the podcast that normally exists, but we'll just... Oh, any, any plans for the rest of the week? Or, uh... Well, I've just been pinged, so... My plans. Oh, so you're not going no, anywhere. I'm not you're going not going anywhere, anywhere for a while. I'm just I think it's watch. a good. I, I think for anyone who's also isolated, like I said, 
it would be a good time to think about existentialism and your mortality. But yeah. think a way of doing it positively. And uh, yeah. Mm. I rewatched Weird Science. That's a good one to chuck out at the end. It's on the iPad. How was that? And if you're looking for. Oh, it's it's like a really weird kind of slightly Me Too sexy Mary Poppins <laughs> yeah. experience. That's that's a bit questionable if I'm honest. I'm with you. sure it is. <laughs> but it's, well, it's interesting yeah, that you know yeah. people are opposed to the idea of people um, electively transcending into women. But if two American dudes make one, that's okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's not okay anymore. I mean, that, <laughs> no, that, it's probably even at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, I, I don't know if this is okay. But yeah. but that was the atmosphere of that film, though, wasn't it? Was It was slightly like every dirty teenage boy's secret fantasy suddenly becoming reality. That was the, bit like this that was the premise. But <laughs> yeah. d- teenage boys' fantasies should not be um, aired publicly. Yeah, they ever. really shouldn't. No, that's a... <laughs> now, that, what a final that's lesson for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Adam Buxton. Do you know what? You can't follow Adam on any social media. He's packed it in. So go and check out his amazing podcast. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the Acast team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.